0: Welcome to episode number 32 of the Marine Layer Podcast with TJ Mathewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, we're buying and selling trade candidates. The Mariners need to get this roster better, so we're going to pick out some trade candidates. And are we buying or are we selling? You'll have to stay tuned to find out. We'll have our three Mariners storylines of the week. A lot regarding this past weekend, a lot to dive into there. We have some voicemails. We'll go down on the farm and pick out our standout minor leaguer of the week. And as always, we will close out the show with Speak Your Mind.
1: Just a reminder, we've partnered up with In the Clutch Clothing Company. In the Clutch Clothing is an official partner of the Marine Layer Podcast. In the Clutch is the ultimate fan site for Seattle baseball merchandise, including the Celebration Trident, official MLBPA shirts for J-Rod, Jared Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, Los Bomberos, and more. TJ and I now both have our shirts in the mail. We can both confirm that they are awesome. We love wearing them. You'll see us wearing them at the ballpark this year. We promise you that. If you guys are interested in getting some shirts, use our code MARINELAYERPOD at intheclutch.com for 10% off. And currently, every shirt on their website ships within the U.S. for free. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. And for all of you listening on
0: either Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or Google Podcasts, go check out our YouTube page, go subscribe, go turn on the notification bell so you know when we post, and you can watch it in video form if you're sitting down at your computer and, and, and working and you want to have another tab open and, and listen to it on YouTube, you can support us that way. And if you're watching on YouTube, go find us on Apple and Spotify, Amazon, Google, go leave us a review, go make it five stars, go make sure you're downloading our episodes, make sure you're click and play uh, and stay tuned for every week when we drop our episodes. And of course, you can find us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at MarineLayerPod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast recording here on Monday, June 5th.
1: Uh, and high point of the season, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't watch any Mariners' baseball this weekend. I went out, enjoyed the sunshine, took a few walks. What Mariners baseball? What was
0: the last uh what was the last spring to fall weekend day you didn't watch any Mariners
1: baseball? well, I'm half lying. I watched until what the fourth inning of Saturday and Sunday? You made it then- to the fourth. Yeah, I made it a good while, and and then I turned it off, and then I turned it back on on Saturday in the ninth inning when I saw Mike Ford was going to pitch. So I was like, "Well, now I'm." How did, it back on. How did he
0: look? How did he look? I, you know, for good reason, decided at that point of the baseball game not to watch. I can we get an evaluation of Mike Ford on the bump?
1: You know, as much as I would love to sit here and say. He is right up there with all the rest of the Mariners' bullpen arms in terms of velocity, stuff, movement, and efficiency. I think he has some work to do. Considering what? He lollipopped one into Mitch Garver, who took one into the cheap seats. Did
0: he throw any breaking balls?
1: I don't think so. From what I remember, I mean, maybe he did, and I just didn't pay close enough attention. From what I remember, it was just basically a bunch of e pitches. (laughs) Hey, <laughs> yeah, I respect it. I respect it. Trying to keep them off balance because the hard stuff wasn't working. No, it was not. In fact, it was not working at all.
0: No, it wasn't. So let's just dive right into our Mariner storylines because it is just all going to relate directly to this weekend. Storyline number one we will start with the brief, slight, minuscule amount of positivity and optimism from this weekend. The Mariners' number six prospect, Brian Wu, got called up from Arkansas to make his debut on Saturday. It was tough. He gave up uh, six runs and two innings on seven hits, four strikeouts in his debut. Not the debut he wanted, but at least we've seen him at the big league level now, something that I don't think we envisioned at the start of this
1: season. After those first two at-bats, you just started to get a little worried. I mean, Marcus Semyon on the first pitch, rocket of a line drive, then Corey Seager hits a rocket of a line drive, and you're kind of like, uh-oh. And it's not, it's not a shot on Brian Wu. He was given an impossible task. But the bright upside, if such a thing exists, and obviously what was a two-inning outing that he gave up a lot of runs, he did get four strikeouts. I mean, you saw that fastball working at points in those two innings where he got some swing and miss. It was just catching too much of the plate. Let's remind the folks
0: of those who are not as familiar with Brian Wu. He has thrown career 101 pro innings, period. That's not in one season. That's total in his minor league career. He has thrown 101 innings. He didn't throw a lot of innings in college. He was coming off Tommy John when they drafted him out of college. He was coming back last year. Didn't even throw 100 innings in the minors last year and is at 4 i think he was at 44 innings in arkansas this year before he came up with a 2.05 ERA and 59 strikeouts there's just not a whole lot there to in terms of development to work on with Brian Woocey like there's not you can't hold this like against anybody and and even in terms of his prospect status and we're very excited to eventually see him be a successful big leaguer but as i told you this weekend with a guy with only 100 innings and not necessarily a lot of college innings either. It, you just can't expect too much from him to to just jump up from Arkansas
1: and be successful. It's it, it just can't be the case of Bryce Miller. Brian Wu's future is very bright. But to even add on to what you were just talking about, not only has he barely thrown 100 minor league innings, even take it further than that, since high school, if you just combine his college and pro innings, He's thrown just shy of 170 pro innings. That's college and the pros. If you want to add in his summer ball innings, it's a little bit over 230. So you're talking about 230 innings since 2019. That's not a lot of work. And despite all that, there's a reason this guy's highly regarded as a prospect. That fastball is great. But yeah, there's, there's more development to do. And again, this is no shot at Brian Wu. This is just us talking about how there is going to be some progression with him.
0: And hes I think he's going to make another start because Marco is not healthy. At least as far as we know right now, he is going to make another start that we will see at the big league level. He might get sent down after that, which is totally understandable, but they might give him another start to see if he can work out some kinks, not against the uh, league's best scoring offense, which is good. Expectations-wise, Let's remember now that Brian Wu is starter number, I would say he's probably ninth in line because I kind of put Flexen and Marco around the same area as five. So I think Brian Wu is essentially your ninth starter this year. And again, you can't rely on your ninth starter for much. So you you kind of take it with a
1: grain of salt. Let's just count it out. So if, if you're counting nine, so you got obviously Luis, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, Robbie Ray, when he was healthy, Marco and Flexen is six, Bryce Miller is mm. seven. Are you calling Tommy Malone eight? Is Easton McGee eight? Yes. Eight. Okay. I mean, they got called up first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so Brian, we, Wu, we, we could say 10. Yeah, we could. He could be the 10th starter. And again, this is no shot of Brian Wu. The dude has a really, really high ceiling. But he just needs more development. So don't be surprised, by the way, whether it's in the minors or the majors, if you're listening to this or watching us, another reminder to watch on YouTube, don't be shocked if Brian Wu has his season end in July or August. And this is not because he gets injured. It's because he's thrown so few innings, he is almost undoubtedly on an innings limit. So if he gets to 100, 110 innings this year, the Mariners may just tell him, hey, that's good for this season. You've done your job. We don't want you injured. We want you to build up. That's it.
0: A question I want to ask you, Lyle, before we flip around to the other side of the ball, what are the Mariners going to do with this roster spot now? What are they going to do with this rotation spot? Marco's on the IL. He has a forearm strain right now. His uh, his certainty for the rest of the season, is his. I guess his, I'd say, I don't know what to expect from him for the rest of the season. I don't know how healthy that forearm is. I don't know how precautionary it was that he got put on the IL and how much that damage could linger if it was it, if it's an actually bad strain. So that leaves the fifth spot in this rotation of for grabs. What do they do?
1: (sighs) That's a good question. Do we think this is short term with Marco? Because the only thing about forearm strains is this is what they said about Robbie Ray at the start too, was it was a forearm strain and then it turned into he's going to, miss a lot of time and then it turned into Tommy John. So I am really hoping it is not the same with Marco, but we don't know. So so let me flip it back around to you. How long are we projecting he's out?
0: He's going to be out longer than 15 days. These these things never go minimum, especially with forearms. It's not like Marco dropped a rock on his toe and he just needs to work his foot back into health. No, they're going to be pretty cautious with With that arm. The forearm reads, uh, runs right back to the elbow. This has happened before. Marco did have a flexor strain in 21 and was able to come back and pitch the rest of the season perfectly healthy, unlike Robbie Ray, who got a flexor strain and went out with Tommy John surgery and, and to repair his flexor as well. The easy answer is Chris Flexen goes in that spot. He is still on the roster. He's not been moved off the roster yet. He has kept that bullpen spot for. The whole season now. Once he got moved out of the rotation, is that the best option? No, it's not. Emphatically not. I don't think there's another arm ready in the Mariners' system to start in that system. Wait, like Brian Brian Ru- Wu would have probably been next in line. I don't know where they're at on Emerson Hancock. They're trying to still trying to keep build him up as well. Him and Wu also just haven't thrown enough innings down there in the minor leagues to really be ready. I don't know if they'd be comfortable with letting Emerson Hancock start baseball games. If you look after that, it's Tommy Malone.
1: So I think it's going to be Brian Wu for at least a few starts while Marco is out. If Brian Wu reaches his innings limit and he gets shut down, I would all of a sudden bet it is Flexen as a placeholder. And all of a sudden at the trade deadline, they might have to go out and get a back end starter. That would be my guess. Because you're right. If they're serious about contending and even getting into the playoffs, you can't be rolling with Chris Flexen and Tommy Malone as your five-starter. That can't happen. As good as the other four are. I think Brian Wu is perfectly capable of pitching at the level or even a little bit better this year of what Marco was doing. But I don't think he's going to pitch all year. I think really? he's on an innings limit. Yeah. Brian Wu? I do. Uh, I, I, I just
0: don't think he's pitched enough. I, I don't. I, I think there's a gap. There's still
1: a gap. So it was like I said to you this weekend. Let's give him two to three more starts, and then let's judge. Let's not... Remember, I mean, and this was very late, too. He got to Texas on Friday. They told him he was starting Saturday. This was a quick turnaround. He got the best offense in baseball who cannot do anything wrong right now. Let's see how he does in his next outing here when he faces the Angels. And the Angels are a good lineup, but they're not quite the Rangers. I'd like to see what he does in his next couple starts. And then reevaluate because yeah, I, I think he can be a five starter this year. You also said it with the innings though. He I don't know if he gives you quite enough
0: length to be to 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 benefit your pitching staff because your bullpen will probably get worked more on days that he pitches. If he's only gonna be allowed to go out there and throw four to
1: five innings, that that's a pretty significant strain on your bullpen. So I think in a perfect world, he goes a handful of starts. If the Mariners can get five out of them, they take it. And again, if he's done by mid-July, early August, then he's done for the year because he's reached his limit and they have to find another option. Now, that's what I'm getting at. What happens after Brian Wu if they keep him in this rotation and Marco Gonzalez is still not back at that point? I think by that point, they would have to go trade for somebody that's a back-end starter. I don't think they rely on Emerson Hancock. I don't think they rely on Tommy Malone. I think they'd probably have to go trade for somebody. And that's worst-case scenario because I think they're hoping Marco can be back by then.
0: Your prediction is then he is on this roster
1: still in July. I don't know what else they're going to do if Marco's not healthy. I mean, sure, if you want to get a, go out and trade for somebody now, that might happen. I would rather have Brian Wu starting than Chris Flexen personally, and it's no knock against Flexen, but you know, he didn't have many great starts early in the year. I think Brian Wu, again, if you give him another few starts, he can turn this thing around.
0: He could. I'm. I'm very interested to see how he handles these next few starts and and prove me wrong again. I. I just don't think he's pitched enough in the minor leagues. I think he needs some more seasoning down there, but time will tell as we go along. And again, they could swing a trade right now. I. I wrote down Lance Lynn. We've already talked about this before. Who they would fill in in that fifth spot? You know, a Lance Lynn, a, a Lucas Duda. Like pick your crummy team and a starter on there. Zach Granke. eat some salary. Put. Put Zach trade for Zach Granky from a terrible Royals team. I mean, sure, that's fine. But at this point, I, I just don't know if those guys, if Jerry's going to swing that or they actually want to want to see Brian So That's going to be something we'll have to see.
1: Yeah, that five starter is now up in the air. So along with everything else going wrong for the Mariners right now, that's now another spot they're going to have to fix going forward. There is no spot going worse for this team right now than the offense as we saw this past week they drop two of three to the Yankees they get swept by the Rangers in Texas the one game they win is a one nothing victory in 10 innings where they had the benefit of a runner starting on second base boy was that a brutal week of baseball and a lot of it while the starting pitching was not very good kind of points to the offense I don't even know where we start where do we start with this
0: we've already talked about this this season. We've we've already talked about all of these points and we're probably going to go back over them again later on this season. A- as of now, the Mariners ha- are still label themselves as contenders. But this offense has shown you absolutely has shown you nothing to show their to label themselves as a contender. It has gotten to the point where as soon as the Rangers would go up three runs in a game, you'd kind of be shaking your head and being like, it's over. That's what it feels like from from some of the at-bats you saw. I don't, Where do you want to start with this, Lyle? Because we, we can go
1: a number of directions. I'll let you be my guest. You pick. What are you feeling like talking about first? <clears throat>
0: I, I just don't know. We could start. I mean, they're twenty and thirty against teams not named the A's in the Rockies. That's that's bad. Right? That's a bad start. The 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 record without them without them facing the A's and feasting on the A's A's by far worst in the league pitching staff is uh is pretty horrible. Did you know I didn't know this leading into this week, Lyle, that Teoscar Hernandez currently is the worst on base percentage of any outfielder in baseball. Any outfielder.
1: Doesn't shock me when you lead the league in strikeouts and you don't walk at all. This is what happens.
0: Your premier offensive acquisition gets on base less than any other player at his position qualified in baseball. You you want to know why the offense is struggling because the guy you're relying on to drive in runs doesn't get on base enough. doesn't put the bat on the ball enough.
1: And I'm just not understanding how this happened with him. You can talk about the ballpark factor going from Toronto to Seattle But again, WRC Plus is supposed to cut right through all of that. Ballpark factor is not supposed to matter. Look at each of his last three years. 2020, WRC Plus was 142, 42% above league average, 132 in 2021, 129 in 2022. Now it sits at 92. He is 8% below league average, and like you just mentioned, he is not getting on base at all. He's actually kind of still hitting left-handed pitching, but that's just kind of picking one bright spot. He's not getting on base, and he's not providing any thump in the middle of the order for the most part.
0: He's the lowest walk rate in baseball. He has the third highest strikeout rate in baseball. If you want to go by outside of just Teoscar, if you want to go by volume, the, the run producers in the Mariners lineup, Teoscar Hernandez, Eugenio Suarez, Julio Rodriguez, and Jared Kelnick are ranked number one, two, four, and five in the league in total strikeouts, they rank 5th, 7th, 23rd and 29th in strikeout rate as well. While not uh while not hitting for enough power. They've the power has creeped up a little bit, I will say it was not as bad as when we talked about this a matter of weeks ago. They're le- up to Mariners are up to now 11th in isolated power, they're 4th in walk rate in the league, 11th in hard hit rate, 13th in average exit velocity. Fifteenth in expected slugging, tenth in home runs. I mean, it's good power, but for the amount of times they're continuing to strike out, and the strikeouts seem to be getting worse, the power is not jumped up to the level that they need to be
1: at. There's just not enough pop in the lineup right now. Last year, by WRC Plus, they were a top ten offense. I think the three guys you have to kind of point to here more than anybody else. Gino, Ty France, and Teoscar Hernandez, because those three guys are basically showing no pop. Now, Ty's WRC plus, to be fair, is 116, so he's still been above a league average hitter, but he's still 15 points off his normal clip. He's usually around 130. You've usually seen a few more balls leave the yard by now. He's hitting for a few more doubles. That's not happening right now. Eugenio Suarez, like we talked about on the last show, while some of his expected numbers are expected to go up in the second half. It's not happening right now. You've seen very little pop out of his bat aside from that walk-off home run against the Pirates. And Teoscar Hernandez, again, this guy was essentially supposed to be the second best bat in the lineup and it's just not happening. It's just so puzzling. Like, Why is this the case?
0: Why is this happening? These guys don't, you can say, well, maybe the Mariners' organizational philosophy doesn't align with their style of hitting, but these guys all have their own personal coaches that, for the most part, they keep when they move organizations. What,
1: like, what changed? I, I couldn't tell you what changed. And again, it really doesn't make any sense with Teoscar Hernandez. Because his profile has been so rock steady forever. Sure, he struck out a lot in Toronto. That didn't change the fact that he was a great hitter. He can strike out a ton for all I care here if he's putting up a WRC plus of 130 and he's going to hit 30 homers. He's not on pace to do that right now. I I don't I just don't get it. I don't get why the production is not there. Again, it's funny. He's put up an OPS just over 860 against lefties. So what he does best of hitting lefties, he's still doing it. Now, it's not to the level that he usually does it, but he's still doing it. But it, as a whole, it's just not there.
0: Another big key to this downturn for this current month, Out again, outside of last week against the Pirates and the A's where... They did look pretty good, but against the Pirates and the A's, Jared Kellnick's kind of fallen off this last month too. It, he's not, it wasn't expected that he was going to stay as hot as he did in that first month. He wasn't going to put up a, a 190 WRC plus the entire season. That's correct. But his strikeouts have started to pile up. He's still occasionally putting the barrel on a baseball. But those that strikeout rate is climbing and climbing. He's at 31% now, which is not good. It, it, what we said going into the season... Jared cannot continue striking out at this rate and it was looking good at the beginning of the year, but now that strikeout rate is really piling up and the Mariners needed him like they did at the beginning of the season where he's making more contact, he's working more counts and he's, you know, spraying the ball around the field, which he's
1: still doing, but now he's getting a lot more automatic outs. Strikeouts may always be a part of his game. I think people need to accept that. He may strike out a decent amount in his major league career and that's okay If he's still putting up big offensive numbers, and like you just said, he was not going to go off the way he did in April, again in May, or at least it's very unlikely. His month of May as a whole was nothing terrible. He By weighted runs created plus again, he was slightly below average for the month. And that's fine because that's pretty much expected to happen. Now we'll see what happens in June, but the strikeout rate has to come down. If he can be between 25 and 27%, I think everybody will take that. But like you said, now that it's climbing up to 31, 32 percent, he's got to reel that back in a little bit because it's too many strikeouts. And there's already too many guys in this lineup striking out to begin with. When he was actually controlling the zone really well in April, that was a fantastic sign. He just needs to reel that back in a little bit.
0: If, if you take away from this conversation that Lau and I are having, it's like, well, just don't strike out because striking out kills every offense. It's not it's not a perfect science. I think you want to be as a team somewhere in the middle. The Cleveland Guardians, I'm confirming it right now. They have the lowest strikeout rate in baseball. But I think their fan base from what I've seen on Twitter has arguably been more frustrated with their offense, which is a pretty high bar to set than Mariners fans have been frustrated over their offense. There's there are the two extremes, and then I think there's a happy middle point which those two teams are
1: desperately needing right now. For sure, you, you don't want to lead the league in strikeouts. Of course you don't. That means you're not putting the ball in play. But again, the Mariners struck out plenty last year. They were top 10 in the league in strikeouts last year, but it didn't matter because they were hitting the ball over the fence and were still a really productive offense. So if they're going to strike out a lot, that's fine. The biggest story here is the power has to go up. And I, I'm not worried about Julio. I'm not worried about Kelmick. I'm not really worried about Cal Raleigh. The three I'm going to keep circling, Ty, Gino, Teoscar. Those are the three where you need more pop out of their bats. Gino and Teoscar especially. Like Ty probably takes a backseat of those three. But those two who are built on power, Gino and Teoscar, they have to start hitting the ball with more authority. They have to.
0: And this is a a pretty universal sentiment across what whatever we're going to get into these factions here in a second of people who you know watch the Mariners quite a lot and have lots of opinions on this team. Regardless of which side of the aisle you take on this, if the Mariners don't start hitting, they're not going to make the playoffs. They, they're they're not because they've gotten too many in, now too many injuries in the rotation. We're already mentioning. We didn't even talk about Bryce Miller's struggles this weekend. His last two outings, he has gotten absolutely shelled. You now have an open fifth spot in your rotation. You're getting Andres Munoz back in the bullpen by the time this episode comes out, I believe. But the offense right now is not currently good enough for this team to make the playoffs. That's pretty set in stone, right? Am I wrong there?
1: No, you're not wrong. They keep this up. They're not going to the playoffs. You can't hit like this in the playoff team.
0: No. So there, those two. you mentioned those two guys especially, but the group as a whole, which we're going to note here in a second, needs to, as a group, hit better. Otherwise, there will be no, no return trip to the postseason this year in baseball. Uh, before we move on to our next segment, Lyle, uh, you know, I feel very bad for Guardians fans. I did mention that strikeout right there, second
1: to last. H- have you checked on their Team WRC Plus recently? No, but I know it's low. I mean, they don't have a lot of power in that lineup to begin with. I know Josh Bell's not hitting. I know a couple other guys in that lineup have been struggling. Yeah, I'm going to guess it's low.
0: The Mariners have a 96 WRC plus that we bitch about. And I think for good reason, there have not been good enough. The Guardians are at 79.
1: Ooh. Yeah, that's really Now, bad. they
0: don't strike out a bunch. They strike out 19% of the time as a, as a team. There's a balance. And I think, and the team that strikes out the least, the Nationals, has a Team WRC plus of 97. So just to say, strikeouts with power, good. Strikeouts without power,
1: awful. And that's where we sit right now. Correct. Speaking of power, we're going to transition a little bit here. Same idea. We're still talking about this week of games and what went wrong for the Mariners. But to transition a little bit, if we're going to stay on this power topic, the Rangers. I mean, oh my God. Nothing can go wrong for these guys. Every single, like, nothing at all. Every single guy in that lineup is legitimately going off. So let's transition here to the Rangers because, listen, I think they're for real. I think it's hard for anybody to dispute that at this point. I certainly did for a while. I now believe that they are very, very much a force to be reckoned with. I also know that this level of the Rangers offense is not going to sustain all year. However, the Mariners could not have caught them at a worse time because every single thing went right for them.
0: Well they're scoring runs up there with about the 1930 Yankees. It's mm-hmm. a pretty high bar to keep throughout the season. And I think their run differential, they passed the 2016 Cubs for highest through this many games so far, which it, it's pretty crazy, but they have been really really good. And they're kind, I I feel like they're almost I guess underratedly good, but I've seen enough stats out there that have uh that have replicated that. Did you know that of their starting lineup eight Rangers, uh, nine hitters, uh, on their team. They've had 10 guys who have been to the plate a hundred times. Nine of them have a higher WRC plus than they did last season.
1: Wait, say that one more time. You went eight, then nine, then 10.
0: Sorry. Okay. The Marin- the Rangers currently have 10 players who have been to the plate a hundred times this season. Nine of them have a higher WRC plus this season than they did last season.
1: Okay, we talked about this over the weekend. Why don't you just read this through? Because when you talk about the Rangers and why they've improved so much, let's remember, and we're going to get more into this budget payroll topic here in in a few minutes, but the Rangers won 68 games last year with just Marcus Semyon, Corey Seager, and Adoles Garcia. I'll flip this to you here because I know you've got it out in front of you. The improvement in offensive production between every single guy in this Rangers lineup is a joke. And you can elaborate further on that. And it wasn't just those three last year, Lyle. Most
0: of these guys were Rangers last year. They just weren't right. very good. Let's let's just start at the top. Marcus Simeon has been unbelievable this year. He's up to a 142 WRC+. plus. He was at 107 last year. Jonah Heim, he was breaking out a little bit last year, but he went from a 99 WRC plus last year to 121 this year. Adolis Garcia was good last year. He was at a 112 WRC+. He's up to 121 this season. Josh Young, former first-round pick, went from being pretty bad last year in his initial rookie season to now he's up to 132, and he's probably going to be an all-star. Pretty bonkers. The only guy who regressed from last year's team to this one is Nathaniel Lowe. That's because he had a 143 WRC+. Last year he's only down to 121 eye roll. Leoti Tavares uh, was at a 93 WRC plus last year. He's up to 126 this year. Ezekiel Duran went from an 82 WRC plus last year to 140 this year. Corey Seager, a 117 WRC plus last year to 166 this year. Josh Smith, Went from a 68 WRC plus last year to a 116 this year. Robbie Grossman went, uh, who was signed this offseason, so he wasn't a Ranger last year, went from 82 to 93. Uh, eight of these guys who I just listed were all Rangers last season and got better. Robbie Grossman was the only addition there of that group. That's bonkers. Look, like, let's put this in context. They, uh, Every single player with a hundred or more play uh, outside of Robbie Grossman, every player with a hundred or more player play appearances on their roster has a WRC plus of one sixteen and more or more. Every single one. It is insane. We talk about teams playing to their potential. The Texas Rangers might be the poster child of
1: that. They're not just the poster child. They're on a rocket ship to the moon right now in terms of playing above their potential. That's ridiculous. Like every single one of those jumps you just talked about from player to player and from year to year, none of that is normal. No player is supposed to jump that high in production from year to year. And not only are one or two guys doing it for the Rangers, everybody is doing it. So back to what I just said before you listed out all those guys about the Rangers having a 68 win total last year when their real productive offensive pieces were Semyon Seeger, Adoles Garcia, with the other guys not doing much. This is the whole difference. This is why the Mariners are currently behind the Rangers by this many games, because the Mariners offense is not playing up to their potential. Again, we just talked about Ty. We talked about Gino. We talked about Teoscar, a few others. If they were all playing to their level of capability and what they were doing in 2022, we'd be having a way different conversation about the Mariners right now. They might not have the Rangers record but they'd certainly be right either a game or two out of that wildcard contention, or they might just hold one of those spots right now, for all we know. That's the whole difference. The Mariners are not hitting with a lineup last year that was really good and has not carried over. The Rangers did not have a good lineup last year, and everybody's hitting.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you want to hear it on the other side? Well, nine players on the Rangers, this current Rangers roster, got better. Last year than, than this, uh, got better this year opposed to last year. Now let's look at the same thing for the Mariners. You mentioned they're just not hitting. Let's just like put some numbers to it. JP Crawford, same WRC plus this year and last year. Ty France, 126 last year, 114 this year. Julio, 146 last year, 109 this year. Jared Kelnick set the bar pretty low. <laughs> 55 to 135 currently this year. Gino Suarez, 131 last year, 87 this year. Cal Raleigh, 121 last year to 111 this year. Teoscar, Oscar, 129 to 86. Colton Wong, down. AJ Pollock, down. Sam Haggerty, down. Tom Murphy, down. Taylor Trammell, down. Dylan Moore has not played. It's
1: the opposite. The complete opposite. That is the complete opposite. And actually, Ty and Teoscar's WRC Plus numbers are even lower after yesterday because, again, Ty entering Sunday was at 116 and Teoscar entering Sunday was at one uh, was at 92. And then it dipped after their games again. So, yeah, it's even lower. And, again, for, for those maybe not super familiar with WRC Plus, just remember 100th league average. So you've got a bunch of guys way below that league average mark right now, and a lot of them shouldn't be. That's the whole issue here. And, and and I bring this up because as we continue to transition with talking about this Rangers series is – so there was a contingent of Mariners fans all over social media. By the way, if you're off Twitter, credit to you. It is – I like Stay it a off. lot of the time. I mean I like Twitter for a lot of reasons a lot of the time, but it is maddening to see some of these Mariners people tweeting – Especially when they're losing, and for those who are on Twitter and see these Mariners people, you know exactly who I'm talking about, and there's all these people this weekend that are acting like they're Rangers fans in disguise. I swear they they were happy to see the mariners lose almost i I'm not going to say a hundred percent, but I am almost going to say they were happy to see what happened because their pro- point gets proven quote unquote I'm putting air quotes around that about spending equals wins. And now they're taking a victory lap here in early June because they wish the Mariners were the Rangers. No, the Rangers are not winning because they have a high payroll. It might play a factor. Yes, of course, Semyon and Seager are helping this team win. But again, they won 68 games last year with those guys. The difference is Duran, Tavares, Young, Haim, Josh Smith, all these guys, they're homegrown guys. Haim was a small trade, but close enough are playing way above their level of expectations and have made massive improvements. That is the difference. It's not because they spend and spend, oh, money, 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 money. No, it's both. And for the fact, do you, you saw this too.
0: The Rangers happened to sign the two best middle infield free agents. Just so happened, by chance, the two middle infield guys they chose are far and away the two best that have performed so far on their big contracts and it's like
1: it's not even really close in the last two off seasons you mean yeah, yeah. you're right I mean look at all the infielders over the last two off seasons I mean Chris Bryan not going great Trevor Story that one's not going great you look at this year Trey Turner I mean that's what I have group. the numbers you want them oh yeah go ahead All right, well, Trey Turner has two home runs as we're recording today, but uh,
0: as I wrote this down last night, he's at a 74 WRC+, Xander's at a 106, Correa's at an 87, Dansby's had a pretty good season, but I know pretty much everybody did not want Dansby, so don't try and lie and say that you wanted Dansby Swanson this year. I really think you're just full of shit. Uh, Chris Bryant, 87 WRC plus, constantly hurt. Trevor Story, 100 WRC plus last year, hasn't played this year. Javi Baez might be one of the worst contracts ever. He's at 63 WRC plus. And t- those are just all the big middle infield shortstop guy, free agents who people were clamoring over this last offseason. The Rangers, credit to them, signed the two best. They chose the two best. They made the pitch to the two best. And it just so happens they signed the two best. What happens if the Rangers decided to instead sign Trevor Story? Uh, Tre let's say Trevor Story and Javi Baez instead to, to be their middle infield. People would be tra- would be trashing them, right? It, it's, uh, it, 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 it is a bad faith argument. That's what it is.
1: Correct.
0: Like Credit to the Rangers. They have built their roster correctly. And the thing that flies under the radar with the Rangers is they made excellent signings in the rotation outside of Jacob deGrom. Nobody was going to think that Andrew Heaney and Nate Ivaldi are going to have great great breakout seasons. But whatever the Rangers saw, they correctly identified, put them in the rotation, and they succeeded. But don't act like the the Mariners were going to sign that. They weren't going to sign anyone in in the rotation. They had... They ha- they have the Luis Castillo, who you traded for three, uh Luis Castillo, who you traded for. You signed a Cy Young winner and Robbie Ray, and you have your two young guns. Don't act like you were going to sign a mid-level free agent starter. Like, no, you weren't. Nobody was asking for that. <laughs> that that's, and, that's even crazier if, they, if, if you want to point at, like, look at their signing in the rotation and say, that's it right there. That's what the Mariners didn't do. Like,
1: you're just full of shit. The Semyon thing is driving me crazy. Again, with these people on Twitter, and if you're not on Twitter and really want to find it, believe me, it's not that hard to find all these Mariners fans out there the last few days that are acting like they're Rangers fans in disguise because they're so happy that they're spending money, and oh, money always equates to wins no matter what. There's these Mariners fans out there right now saying, well, the Mariners should have just signed Marcus Semyon." Okay, that's great. I think we can both sit here and say we would have loved Marcus Semyon on the roster. He didn't give Seattle a chance. Scott Boris is his agent. And in case you haven't paid attention, Scott Boris manipulates free agent markets around his clients. He didn't let Simeon talk to Seattle. He pigeonholed him into a couple of different teams. He was very, very zoned in on who he had Marcus sign with and who was even basically allowed to talk to him. And now there's going to be people that say, oh, well, you just should have offered him 50% more than what the Rangers offered him. Okay, sure, if you offered Marcus Semyon $400 million, he probably would have signed. That's not a good contract. It's not a good contract at all. And then you can't do anything else later. So again, I'm not buying that argument either. I, like, be mad that Semyon's not a Mariner, sure. But don't act like it was ever really a chance.
0: And you could say the same thing with Corey Seager. You say, oh, they should have just signed Corey Seager. Do you think Corey Seager was going to come here after how Kyle Seager's Mariner's career ended?
1: No. No. That would never is going to happen. Here's the other part of this, too, is these fans, well, and fans in general, right? They think very in the now, and, and that's just part of being a fan. Everything is in the now. Win now, get better now, sign free agents now, sure. But what happens, say, to your point, if they had signed a couple of these bad free agents to contracts, they'd done what everybody asked, spent big in free agency, these guys flopped, like if they had signed Trevor Story last year, which they were very close to doing, well, what if all of a sudden they sign a couple of those guys? They're not good players. Payroll builds up. And then, oh, a few years down the road, yeah, that George Kirby guy who's going to demand a lot of money when he gets either close to free agency or if he wants an extension. Then what if you can't sign him all of a sudden? Then these same fans are going to turn right around and say, why didn't the Mariners just sign George Kirby? They should have just gave George Kirby whatever money he wanted. How could they do this, letting him walk out of the building? Well, because based off what you insisted, and that they had to sign one of those bats over the last two winners, They did, hypothetically. And now you can't sign a bunch of the guys that are supposed to keep this core together long term. Again, everything is in the now. In 2005, and a lot of those 2000s years, Mariners had a high payroll. It did not equate to wins. I'm not sitting here telling you what the right or wrong way to operate a baseball team is, but I can tell you that these people on Twitter that think they know and want to go out and make baseball decisions, do not know.
0: If you want to be pissed about free agents, I think it's the mid-level free agents you should actually be pissed about, not about the top tier you know, $300 million over 10-year guys. How about some of these mid-level free agents that the Mariners passed on, did not sign, did not get a chance to sign? I mean, I was just thinking of a few. Uh, Brandon Nimmo is having a pretty good season, as me and you were sitting here on this podcast saying, yeah... Uh, Let's let's sign Brandon Nemo. I think he'd be a pretty good fit on this roster. He'd be a great leadoff hitter. He's at a 128 WRC plus this year. It's been worth nearly two wins. I think we were big on Mark Kana last season, obviously before the podcast started, but me and you were both saying, yeah, I think Mark Kana would be a good bat to sign in the offseason of last offseason. He's at a 109 WRC plus this year. He was at 128 last year. That would have been great in the outfield. Michael Conforto, who he we said, well, maybe, maybe he would DH. He's at a 123 right now after a horrendous start. Brandon Belt, same case. He's at a 125. Just mid-level guys who would actually make a good impact on this roster without having to worry how they're going to perform at age 40, which you also did not sign. So That's, I think, where you could actually have some beef with in in terms of what's actually realistic. Who's actually going to listen to you? Trey Turner was not going to listen to you. Trey Turner was not going to sign on the West Coast. It was so object it was so objectively clear with his intentions that he was not going to sign with a West Coast team. You, you can't just you can't just say that the Mariners are going to offer him a you get what 30% above market value to come to Seattle. They, a no, they weren't going to do that. I don't think Trey Turner's good enough to offer that kind of money to. Uh and B as you already, you'd already mentioned on Twitter like they offered uh, the Padres offered and the was it the Padres and Dodgers
1: each offered more money to Trey Turner or was it the Giants? well we we know the Padres did when we had our friend Jason Churchill on a few months ago he said both those teams did and yeah so if if yeah. Turner wasn't going to if Turner was going to stay on the west coast it was going to be with one of those teams it, he wasn't going to Seattle
0: no well yeah he wasn't going to come to Seattle he wanted to be on on the on the east coast and it's pretty apparent with the contract he signed well yeah if guys don't want to come play in seattle like you said like just keep throwing money at them well you got like there there comes to a point where you physically cannot spend more money that even the yankees and out will throw the mets away all the other big market teams put a limit on how much they spend they spend a lot but they still eventually put a limited on it and there's a limit for the mariners too it's it is a business as frustrating it is as you watch them invest in the in the diamond club and invest in the press club instead of you know the the fun thing about investing in those things and not investing in the roster there always is a limit and you're, you're just not going to make a, a bad decision over uh, over a free agent who just play it flat out doesn't want to come play here you want to get mad at something get mad about mid-level free agents Cause I kind of am after looking up these numbers. I'm I'm kind of peeved, and I think you, you know a point I can make here in a little bit that they missed out on an opportunity with some of these more mid-level players who would who would actually fit and make the roster
1: better. I'm all with that. Look, if if you if, if people were on Twitter saying the Mariners really could have used Michael Conforto right now, they could have used Brandon Belt, they could have used Mark Hanna. Sure, I will listen to that, but I am so tired of hearing about these top level free agents and why they should have been mariners no they were not gonna be mariners like be mad about it all you want it like but accept it and zone in on what they can do moving forward and here in the now to improve this team which oh actually i was gonna say maybe that's a good transition but we do have a few voicemails to get to here in a second right and I do have one more thing to get to relating to those mid-level free agents. I think I forgot to,
0: to mention this in our first segment, so I'm just gonna do it now. Can we just say this DH philosophy is done? Can we just can we just throw it out now? The, whatever they're trying to do with the with the DH. I think we have enough of a sample size to say that.
1: Yeah. Whatever the plan was for 2023 it didn't work. If they had brought Carlos Santana back this year, that, that probably would have been perfectly fine, but that wasn't the plan. And, and it has not worked so far.
0: The, the platoon situation has been an abject disaster. I think their WRC plus right now as a group is 46. It's, it's bad. It It is yeah, but- bad. And again, those, those guys, those mid-level guys I mentioned would fit perfectly in that DH spot, but in the, it, it seems like the versatility has not mattered in that position, no. the vert it, it didn't seem like it has mattered. So no. let's just, uh, let's, let's throw away with it. They said they're looking for bats. So good, but I, it could be too late for that. It could be, because there were, there were options there to fill that DH role that the team made a decision not to sign out of the notion of versatility, which now we've noticed has fallen on its face. I did not physically think it was possible for that DH spot to be better than or worse than it was last year. And I was expecting in the month of May that it would get a little bit better. It did not. Not even close. And that's with Abe Toro taking up some some mad bats in the in the DH spot last year.
1: I mean, when Jared Depoto comes out and says they're actively shopping for a bat, that means he's acknowledging they need to augment the roster too. So that's kind of him saying, yeah, what our plan was originally to start the year We've got to adjust and pivot here a little bit because the DH spot is everybody's seen. It's not good enough. It's not even close to good enough right now.
0: I think they have racked up negative since Nelson Cruz left. It's like negative five. It's just bad. It just, it's just bizarre how bad one roster spot designated to just hitting could possibly be, but Mariners have, uh, have entered a new low of that and they're going to have to make a move and probably make a move pretty quickly. If they're going to look to, to salvage something from this season, I don't even know if they're, like, we don't even know if they're going to be buyers at this point. We we would think they would with some of the talent on this roster, but
1: the way they keep playing, we we can't say that for certain, so. I would think they would, but again, I think that's more of a conversation we might have to wait the next couple weeks before we have, see how everything shakes out. Probably. Okay. Uh, let,
0: yeah, let's get to our voicemails, as as you were about to bring up. Because they go right along with this subject. They're I i would say they, they complement what we just talked about. So uh if we're ready for our first one, let's get to our uh our first voicemail of the week.
2: This is Jude from Tri-Cities. I mean, this offense is just ridiculous. You know. Clearly after last season the offense needed an upgrade, and Jerry DePoto goes out and gets Colton Wong, who's been the worst second baseman in all of baseball. He gets Tommy Mostella. A.J. Pollock and Teoscar Hernandez, who's been awful. But granted, in foresight, that was a good pickup. But the rest are just a lot of question marks around that. And looking at this offense, not just today, throughout the entire season, I mean, when we get to playoff baseball, this team's fucked. I don't know if I can cuss on the show. You might have to bleep that out. But this team's fucked. All right? We're fucked. (laughs)
0: You'd put it very simply. I like it. You can cuss as much as you want.
1: Yeah, I mean, we do it. So feel free to send what you want to send. I don't know how much we can further cover based off his talking points. I think we did a lot of it here so far already in the show. But yeah, he's right. I, I mean, if they don't hit, you talk about being in big trouble when you get to the playoffs. I don't even know if they get there if they don't hit. In fact, I don't think they get there if they don't hit. No, they
0: they got to pass up six teams just to get to the third wild card at this moment. I believe it's it's tricky. All right, let's get to our next voicemail.
2: This is uh Noah Firstman calling from uh, Bellevue, Washington, and I got a question. That's a pretty deep question, I think, for Mariners baseball. But that was on the golf course and we were talking about it. And why is it that hitters? do well with other teams, and they come to the Mariners in Seattle, and it's not a minor. It's like a drastic stop-off in their hitting when they come here. I mean, guys like Colton Long, Jesse Winker last year, A.J. Pollock, and these are just current guys off the head of my that we have on our team right now. But, um, I mean, even this goes way back, like 10 years ago, guys like even like Sean Figgins. It mind blows me how there are so many times hitters do well with other teams, and then they come to our club, and it's a drastic difference in hitting. So pretty generic, broad, but kind of a deep question, but yeah, I figured pretty pissed after that shit lost today, so figured I'd reach out to y'all and see what your thoughts anyways, hope it gets answered bye
0: how do we want to answer this question i I think it I think along the lines of uh, there, it there's not one answer to this it's a mix of it's probably a mix of evaluation on the Mariners' part. M- expectations set on the player so something along those lines it, it's not like 100% certain because we've seen Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz have some of the best years of their career hitting in the same ballpark in the same organization without issue with the same front office and same manager as well so it's not 100% but yeah the Jesse Winker one from last year still just absolutely blows my mind i just I can't fathom how that's possible. So I, you, I'll let you go ahead.
1: I think this has been the million dollar question since we've been alive, talking about why all these stars from other places do not thrive in Seattle. And you can't tell me it's the ballpark factor or the marine layer, as we like to call it. Because, like you just said, there are guys that come here and hit, like Robbie and Nelly. Obviously, Julio's hitting. They've had plenty of guys over the years that have hit. But I don't understand why all these guys either. When they get to town, they can't figure it out. Again, like Sean Figgins, great example. Guy was a star with the Angels. He was terrible here. There have been a million examples like that over the years. Yeah, it's the million-dollar question. The Jesse Winker one for sure is forever a head-scratcher. Maybe part of its expectations? I I don't know. Expectations, messaging? Do their hitting coaches not want to live here and help them out? That's what I mean. Like, it's... Why has this happened basically throughout the existence of our time as baseball fans? Because you're right. Like there have been guys under this ownership group and GM group, front office group, I should say, that have had success. But over the years, whether it's with DePoto in service or without him, there have been a lot of guys that have just fallen right on their face. And it never makes any sense. And Chey Oscar
0: this season too, I, 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 I take back personally saying... Yeah, his hitting profile, it'll play right through all that. It doesn't matter. I said that. I take it back. I do. I was <laughs> I was wrong. I did not see Teoscar Hernandez striking out 34% of the time. That one's a little bit more obvious because what we can just point to it's, oh, he has no control of the strike zone. Boom. That It's pretty simple. I think most baseball coaches could watch Teoscar hit and say, yeah, he has, he has no control of the strike zone. Why is that? I don't know. But then Jesse Winker comes in last year and you're like, wow, man, this dude walks. He doesn't chase out of the strike zone. He hits right handers extremely well. Don't even need to play him in the field if you don't want to. All these things. And he comes here and you're just like, man, is he swinging a,
1: a hollowed out bat up there? What What's going on here? I'll never understand it. I Again... That that might be one of those questions that nobody has the answer to. I mean, we don't I, have it. I don't know if anybody I, has it. I think Colton Wong is puzzling too. Another. He's had the biggest drop-off of all of these guys.
0: They talk yeah. about a guy who's had a 10-year career of being a solid hitter. And just everything, I think I highlighted it two weeks ago, he's been noticeably worse across the board at everything. And it's not. I don't think it's easy enough to just say, well, the hitting coach sucks. Because, as I mentioned, all these guys have their own hitting coaches that they keep year to year that they trust that they work with in the off season. It's not just the Mariners guys. That Jerry Depoto went on the radio the other day and was is saying, "Yeah, we work with these guys' hitting coaches all the time." It's I think it's it's a more efficient way of communication, and I agree. So how is it that a guy with such a sturdy level career would come to a place in? Forget everything. If someone knows the answer and has insight, please leave us a voicemail. We'd love to know. Give us your conspiracies. Call in and tell us what what actually it is.
1: Call, DM us, email us the question, email us your thoughts, whatever you want, really. I mean, the, the voicemails are the best way. But if you have a thought to this, let us know. In the meantime, where these 2023 Mariners sit, there's no sugarcoating it anymore, and there's really no other way around it. They need help offensively. So they cannot sign any free agents, obviously, at this point. It is going to have to come through the trade route. So we're going to sit here today. We are going to buy or sell a couple of trade candidates. Actually, a couple of couples, I should say. We picked out four. There's a couple honorable mentions we threw in here, and I'll just briefly mention them with Ramon Laureano of the A's, and Profar of the Rockies, and Michael Conforto, now of the Giants. Those would be some lesser moves. Those are guys who do not have long-term contracts attached to them. Outside of Conforto, Profar and Laureano have not had great great seasons offensively. So those would be smaller moves. But as we can tell, the Mariners need some real thump and a significant upgrade. So we have highlighted four guys that could potentially do that. So I'll throw it back to you, TJ. Of these four, is there somebody you want to start with? Well, it's just uh, we can start at the beginning and I will ask you...
0: Buy or sell for candidate number one, someone you might not expect. As Jerry said, they are looking at trade candidates who you might not necessarily think is available. Interesting. Christian Yelich,
1: buy or sell? I'm buying this one. I am. And here's why. So with Christian Yelich... The Mariners would have to get a little bit creative with this one. And this would be more of a long-term solution back to Depoto's point of not looking for rentals, looking with somebody with looking for somebody with team control. Just a couple years ago, Christian Yelich signed that massive 9-year, 215 million dollar extension. He is signed through 2028. Now, the other side of the Mariners not signing any free agents this winter. Is they do have some payroll flexibility. Now they're not going to have to take on that whole contract if they were to trade for Yelich, but they would take on a portion of it, and they'd probably give up less of a prospect haul in return. So we can dive into the numbers here on a second, but I'm buying this one. I'm buying this too across the board.
0: If you look at his Savant page, his his numbers up are up across the board: average exit velocity, quality of contact, expected batting and slugging all up across the board. There's a big worry from the 2020 season through last year, wondering, well, where's Christian Yelich's power gone? Well, he's gotten a little bit of it back this year. He's up to a 108 WRC+. plus. He controls the zone well. He, he, he walks at a decent clip, hits for a decent average as well. He's been pretty good playing de- defensively in the outfield as well. I think the main goal, as you said, of this contract is to give the Brewers a little bit of salary relief we know they are not big spenders at all. They've been quabbling with Corbin Burns over if they're even going to sign him to an extension. And you would think maybe Jerry's sell to them is we'll take some we'll take some money off your hands if you guys actually want to sign Corbin Burns to a long term extension. We'll take some Yelich money away from you, and you can instead give that to Corbin Burns. Who you know the rumors have been that they're going to trade him. So why don't you trade Christian Yelich instead? Let the Mariners take on some payroll. They get a bat. The Brewers get some 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 payroll flexibility back, and then they can sign Corbin Burns to the extension they've wanted to.
1: This solves your outfield problem long-term. There is no more musical chairs for the Mariners with their third outfielder and messing around with those corner outfielder spots anymore if you go get Yelich. Your outfield moving forward will be Julio, Christian Yelich, Jared Kelnick. It's those three. Yelich, again, he signed through twenty twenty eight. And I think that's a perfectly fine solution going forward. Let's be clear. I think we can all agree that the MVP version of Christian Yelich from 2018 and 2019 is probably a player of the past. Can Christian Yelich still be a valuable player? Yeah, he can. Can he still be a three to four win guy? For sure. Especially with that power starting to come back a little bit. and Not to mention the fact he plays phenomenal outfield defense. There's a lot of reasons to like this Christian Yelich idea, even though the contract is long and they'd have to take him on for a while. It's the same idea behind Eugenio Suarez. They took some of the contract and they got a productive player, at least last year they did. It's the same idea here with Yelich.
0: And at this point, I have the thought pop into my mind. Do you worry about him hitting in T-Mobile Park opposed to, uh, in? sorry, I forgot the name of their stadium, uh, American Family Fields? which is an absolute bam box, one of the best hitters parks in all of baseball to the least friendly hitters park in baseball. But that's a bridge you cross when you're actually deciding whether or not you want to trade for him. But based on the profile, I'm doing it because good control, good exit velocities, plays good outfield. You have plenty of money to lend the Brewers to pay for some of that contract as well. I, I don't see why not. I I don't see why you would not buy this contract. So... The only, I'd say, downside is that he's on the other side of 30. But at this point, you can't be picky because you need bats.
1: You do. And if you want to worry about the T-Mobile Park factor, you're going to worry about it with everybody at this point. You'll worry about it with Shohei Otani at this point. Because if Teoscar can't get through it with his batted ball profile, who is? So Christian Yelich is a good player. You have to bet on that profile and trade for him if that's somebody that you are seriously targeting. By the way, if he gets traded here... I have to get a selfie with him at some point or like a picture next to him. I have to.
2: I absolutely have.
1: Is he taller than you? I want to say we're about the same height. I think he's 6'1 or 6'2. So for those who don't know, I have been told way too many times over the last, I'd say, four or so years that I look like either Christian Yelich or Pete Davidson. Well, Christian Yelich also gets told he looks like Pete Davidson. And I get told sometimes I look like Christian Yelich. Well, I get both comps. So. Yeah, if he gets traded to Seattle, we got to get that picture. So that's that's another plus to getting Yelich here. Okay, trade candidate number two, Jorge Soler of the Miami Marlins. TJ, are you buying or selling this one? I'm buying.
0: I'm not sure he's available, though. Again, Jerry said these guys might not all be available, which is fair. But in terms of what the Mariners need, buy, 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 and buy again.
1: Yeah, I'm buying. 100% I'm buying. And you know what? A lot of people will look at Jorge Soler and say, well, he's an all or nothing guy. He's a two outcome guy, swing and miss or hits a home run. No, that's not really true. Look, Soler might strike out, but it's not at the rate you think. He actually walks a decent amount and his strikeout rate is below 30%. In fact, it's usually below 30%. The Mariners will take that, especially considering he is a DH and they would plug him right in at DH every day. Oh, and he's got 17 home runs
2: mm-hmm.
0: that you, that if you strike out uh, under 30% of the time and you have 17
1: home runs at this point of the season, yeah, yeah, please. So he has a year and a half left on his contract. Jorge Soler would be a free agent after the 2024 season. So another guy that's not a rental, you would get him for a little bit of time here to your point. Is he available? So we're both buying here. The question is the Marlins are having a good year and they're in the wild card hunt right now, too, in the National League. That National League wild card, by the way, is much less competitive than the AL is right now. The Marlins are right in it, though. So the question becomes would they really ship them away?
0: And they're an organization starved for bats. That's why they traded for Luis Rice, who's having an unbelievable season this offseason with the Minnesota Twins and why they signed Jorge Soler. They needed bats and for those two this season they've been a, a pretty good duo. That's mm-hmm. just the, that is the question though. He is going to be he would be such a perfect fit as a DH. That that's I think the biggest reason I'm buying. I mean, he would fit right in especially for what the philosophy of what they do. They want to hit for power. Like the strikeouts as we've seen for acquiring players strikeouts have not been an issue. So I don't see why that would be an issue in terms of them acquiring Solar as well. And if you need him, you can stick him in the outfield as well. So I'm, I'm buying him. Uh, I'm buying Jorge Solaire, and he's only 31 too. So why not? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great. Let's get to our th- uh, third option here on a buy or sell. This might be the least likely of them all in terms of, avail- of availability. Are you buying or selling? Jonathan
1: India. Jonathan India of the Cincinnati Reds. Yes. Yeah. I'm selling. I'm I'm, just for people that might not know what team he plays for, just in case. Yeah. I'm selling this one. I'm not sold on it. I'm going to be honest. Wow. Is it a little bit, does it have to do with his bad ball profile not being great? Oh, it has to do with that and the great American ballpark factor. Have you looked at his splits this year? Uh, I have not. No. Well, let me enlighten you. Oh, boy. He has a 150 WRC plus at Great American Ballpark this year at home. Wow. 68 on the road. Wow. You want to put that guy in T-Mobile Park after all the problems that are going on with this offense right now? I'm good. I'm selling.
0: I'll sell, too. That's wow. That's, that's really awful. The, the reason why he's available, why I would think he's available, I saw his name floated on Twitter. Which I thought was interesting. It didn't seem like there was much consensus on whether or not he would actually be available. I know the Reds have a ton of middle infield prospects coming up through their system. And of course you don't trade guys off your big league roster because you have prospects, especially not young ones like Jonathan India, who's I think only into his he's gonna be arbitration eligible eligible next year. So he's still very much under team control. But they have guys like Ellie De La Cruz, who we've talked about. Noel V's coming up, too. He should be in the big leagues this year. Edwin Arroyo, Matt McClain, who's already on the big league roster and has hit really well this year. Those are all infield prospects that are on the Reds roster that, that could be eventually be on the Reds roster. And Jonathan India, if they're not really buying him, could feel like he's on his way out. So in summary, Jonathan India could be under control. He's got, I guess, okay power, but his splits are
1: awful. So he's, al- he's also viewed as the leader of that team. And I think the Reds really like having him. But to your point, the reason he's been floated out there is because there are so many infielders in the Reds organization right now. And there's a couple of guys that you didn't even touch on on that list. And obviously, the big ones are Ellie, who's probably going to be the face of the team here pretty soon. He's weeks away from a call-up. He's close. Now, LV Marte has been going off in A, like you said. But even guys like Spencer Steers had an awesome rookie year for the Reds. Matt McLean's gotten up this year, had an awesome rookie year so far. You mentioned him. Like even a guy like Nick Senzel, who I'm sure they'd be happy to play India over instead. Senzel's still getting playing time, and while he hasn't been a star like the way he was drafted to be, he's still been productive enough. Like He's still getting playing time. The point being, there's a ton of infielders on this Reds roster, and a lot of people are sitting there saying, well, does somebody have to go here? How is everybody going to fit? That's why India is being floated out there as a potential trade candidate. I think, however, it would cost a lot to get him. And I hate those splits. I absolutely hate those splits between home and road. Now, to be fair, his career splits are actually pretty even. But the fact it's looked the way it has this year, yeah, I'm going to pass. I I can't look at a 68 WRC plus away from maybe the biggest hitters park in baseball and say, yeah, we want that guy.
0: You would wonder if giving up Bryce Miller or Brian Wu would be worth Jonathan India. That's probably what it would take at this point. I would guess for for a quality big league infielder who's fast, he's a good base runner, he walks a good amount, doesn't strike out a whole bunch, has decent pop, and has good intangibles, like you said, that's going to cost a, a one of your prized arms, I would bet. And that's the question that the Mariners would actually be comfortable giving one of those guys up. Sounds like we're selling. So at this point, no.
1: That's where I stand on it. You think India is the least likely. We saved maybe the most intriguing guy for last. I think this one's the least likely, but let's dive into him. Buying or selling? I mean, I'm excited to talk about this one. So let's go here. Buying or selling Luis Robert of the Chicago White Sox?
0: I'm selling.
1: Selling. Okay. All right, yes. Yeah, so lay I, it on. I'm, tell me why. Yeah.
0: I feel like I'm looking at a younger version of Teoscar Hernandez. This might be recency bias. This might just be PTSD from watching this current iteration of Mariners baseball. But Luis Robert this year is striking out 29% of the time and walking 5%. Now, where have I seen that before? Where have I seen that?
1: So I was looking at a similar thing.
0: Yeah, he is an amazing defender in the out, in center field. He's a great defender. He has very good power. He has 13 home runs this year. I'm just not, I don't know. Like, what is the long-term profile of that bat? For a guy who is going to be ex- expensive as he is, as much as you would have to give up to acquire Luis Robert, do you believe in that
1: offensive profile? Do you? So this is where I'm teetering back and forth. I think I am more on the side of buy because it, so if we're just talking about the player, Luis Robert the player, buy. Now if you factor in what the trade package is going to be, again, I'm really torn on this one. And and honestly, part of it is like I don't think there's any chance he's available, but let's let's get to that in a second. So I do not like the fact he strikes out as much as he does. I hate the fact that he does not walk at all. I also look at the rest of his profile and say, well, he's on pace for about a five and a half to six win season. He's an elite glove. He's got big power. And he's also got two club options on his contract after the initial part of it ends. So Luis Roberts got four and a half years of team control right now. He would not be a free agent until after 2027. So if the Mariners acquired him, that is again another guy where similar to Christian Yelich, you have your outfield locked down for a long time. But I, I'm not sure I can buy in what it would cost to get him. I
0: yeah, I'm with you. Not not only just the cost. I think the cost combined with the profile you're getting back, just not, not certain. I'm I'm not sold that the that the that the the price that price would be worth it. Oh, and by the way, he's never played more than a 100 games in his career. Not once.
2: That's he's not injury good. Prone.
1: Yeah. So, let's play a little game here. Well, actually, let's start with this first. I don't think he's available because again, even if the White Sox are going to sell and they're going to trade some guys like Giolito, Lance Lynn, maybe Tim Anderson, are they really going to trade a guy with four and a half years of club control who's arguably the face of that team, who's the best player on that team? That part's for sure. Are they really going to trade that guy? I mean, I, I know. You, so you said off air when we were talking about this, eh, there might be a chance. I have a hard time believing there's a chance.
0: White Sox are not the not on the pillar of good organizations, so I don't know if I would put anything past them. They just don't really have a history of making sound baseball decisions.
1: Fair. So let's play this game. Here's what I was going to get to. If the Mariners were to actually acquire Luis Robert, what goes back to Chicago? Who goes back to Chicago? My, m- Bryce what Miller. I, oh, okay. That's just a
0: start. Uh, Bryce, Harry. Got to have one more guy to throw in there. What? Gabby Gonzalez too? Two blue chips in a, in a, in a lottery ticket.
1: So my package was going to be Harry Ford, Cole Young, Brian Wu, but maybe that's not enough.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's pretty significant. Those aren't guys who would help you, probably help you this year, but that's your, you know, two, three years down the line organizational depth that we're we're talking about here, and that's probably your future catcher that you're you're trading away for Luis Robert. If you're fully bought in on Luis Robert and you think he has a sustainable future and the Mariners outfield that package is absolutely worth it but I don't think you and I are completely sold on it
1: I think you might have pushed me over the line here to the selling phase of this I I think now I'm gonna sell and again I was buying the idea of how valuable he could be in this lineup but it's just between the price you'd have to pay his profile where he would fit right in with this current Mariners team in terms of guys that are supposed to have a lot of power but are just striking out all the time and along with the fact that, well, it's really those two things. It's 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 the batted ball profile and what you'd have to give up for the most part. It's so yeah. I think you pushed me over the line here. So okay, the two guys we're buying then to conclude this, if we're out on Robert and India, the two guys we'd be buying would be Yelich and Jorge Soler. And it seems like again because the Marlins are in real competition right now. It seems like maybe Yelich makes the most sense. Is that what we're concluding here? Brewers are currently in first
0: place. So, well, they, would, they would they would they would need to start losing and really like start worrying about money. That that would be
1: the realistic option to this. Well, that's true too. I guess I guess I should have clarified that yes, of course they are in first place. I guess it's more back to what we talked about at the start of this where we were like They don't spend a lot of money. If they're serious about Corbin Burns, maybe they have to shed some payroll. So maybe they give Yelich away. Yeah. So the point being, all four of these guys would be very hard to acquire because none of these four teams probably want to give up on any of these guys, and it's going to cost a decent amount. So this, this is the hole the Mariners have dug themselves into, right? It's going to take this type of guy along with the rest of the guys you're expecting to hit well to hit. For this season to turn around. And it's going to be hard to get one of these guys. So we'll see what Jerry kind of has cooked up here.
0: And for two of those guys. It would cost a lot. You would be mortgaging a good chunk of your future. Of an already decently thin farm system. To go get a guy. Like the ones we mentioned. Like India. Like Luis Robert. That that's going to cost a lot. And it's just the question to you of. Is that worth it? From again an already thin farm system. And that's something that Jerry and company are going to have to evaluate as the trade deadline approaches. But me, me and both you and I agree, they can't wait until the trade deadline. It might be too late by then. We know this current roster is not good enough. So a move might be on the horizon. And usually when you're trading at this point, you're overpaying.
1: And here's the other thing about Mariners trades. You don't usually hear leaks and then another leak and then another leak. And then we start to get an idea of what's going on. No, if a Mariners trade happens, it's just going to happen. We're going to get an alert on our phone. It's going to be a Jeff Passon tweet, and it's just going to be a bomb. It's going to be somebody we weren't even thinking of. It's going to be none of the guys we talked about today. And then we're going to be like, oh, oh, it was that guy. I mean, that's how it's going to go. That's how all these Mariners moves go. So you're right. I think they're going to, I think they're already in the works to acquire a bat right now. We just have no idea who it's going to be. We're just taking our best guess here to try to outline some guys that, could potentially help
0: i think it's going to throw all of us off when they do do it that's the way jerry made it sound so i guess we'll have to see but speaking of those guys they might have to give up to go acquire a bat uh let's transition and let's go down on the farm okay lyle who
1: do you have this week oh you're gonna roll your eyes sort of but no i'm not it's jake shiner again so We've, we've talked about how, I mean, at some point we're going to circle back to some of these guys because a lot of the guys that are playing well obviously are going to be worth highlighting again. Like PCL or not, AAA or not, I know it's a hitter's league. Jake Shiner's going off. This guy played two games this week because he missed a couple of games with an injury. And he hit home runs in both of those games. He went three for eight against Las Vegas this weekend. A double and two home runs. He's now at 17 home runs on the year. That's third in minor league baseball behind Luke and Baker and Joe Adele. Luke and Baker just got the call up for the Cardinals, by the way. So he's about to pass Baker. And he just continues to mash. WRC plus is just shy of 140. OPS is at 1092. I mean, again, I don't care if it's the PCL. The guy's hitting. And he, yeah, I think he deserves his credit.
0: Tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think you've been higher on a minor leaguer since Jared.
1: No, oh, I, I, again, I, so here's where we're at. Right. And it's, it's all <laughs> connecting back to the theme of this podcast it's about about Mariners offense. They've got to improve. So it shouldn't be this way. Right. I should not sit here and be all worked up in a positive way about how unbelievable Jake Shiner has been. I'm rooting for the guy but, I mean, in general, even if the Mariners were playing great right now, you want more bats. You always want more talented players. So it's awesome what he's doing. I think the reason I'm really itching to watch his stat lines every night and watch his highlights every night is because I'm just looking anywhere, shape, any way, shape or possible to say, where could they get one little spark of offensive production? I'm looking at what Jake Shiner's doing in the minors. And I'm just wondering, is he going to get a shot here at some point? Because I don't know how much more he has to prove down in AAA before they say, all right, let's see what he's got.
0: It's possible, but I think you and I would agree that we'd rather them acquire a major league bat instead, right? To occupy, yeah. uh, say, the DH spot that Mike Ford is in.
1: Correct. But I'm talking about if you need some bench bats, which I mean, it's not like the bench has been amazing this year. He has some pop off the bench. Could play the corners. Could play second base. I mean, that's a guy that has some value. Again, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be any good or not when he gets to the majors. I'm just intrigued enough now by for how long he's been doing this in triple A to say, Yeah, he might be worthy of getting a shot. One little stat here before I wrap this up since May second he struck out thirteen times. That's it. that's not a lot, so he's not swinging and missing a whole lot well i I'm gonna hold
0: myself back from saying that I think you and I could also hit well in the p c l and I'm just gonna instead take the high road. And go to uh, go to my go to my uh, pick of prospect of the week, Gabby Gonzalez. Highlighting him for the second time this season, the Mariners' number seven prospect. He is riding a current eighteen game hit streak where he's hitting. I kid you not, four twenty nine with eight doubles, three home runs, fourteen RBIs. He's walked six tri- times and struck out twelve in his first season of affiliated ball. Right now in June, he is carrying an on base percentage of 407 at 19 years old. In terms of that young group of prospects, he is certainly turning it on in his first season at again affiliated ball level and he's he's doing a great job.
1: This is a guy when the Mariners signed him, people were really excited about. People were high on his bat. We're seeing it. He got a little bit of time in Modesto last year as an 18-year-old. Here we sit in early June, 19-year-old Gabby Gonzalez is lighting the world on fire. Now, he probably stays down there most of the year, but that bat, it's easy to dream on. We're seeing it. You just outlined it. Yeah. That is a guy to absolutely circle and keep tabs on. Yeah, he is crushing
0: it. Speaking of young guys, I mean, outside the Mariners organization, have you seen what Ethan Salas is doing
1: for the Padres, the 16-year-old? So this was the one guy ranked ahead of felmine Celestine. When the Mariners signed Celestine, he was so Salas was the number one international prospect in this class at 16 years old. Yeah, he's already been called up to affiliated ball and he's just absolutely mashing. It's so bizarre. 16. <laughs> That's crazy. That's Before, crazy. I Just to already be an affiliated ball. It's yeah. it is ridiculous, which, by the way, shout out to Felney this week. He's going to get his Dominican Summer League career started here this week, and I am very excited to watch what he's got.
0: How many weeks till he makes an appearance on here?
1: (laughs) Probably not many. Okay, let's get to a little bit of a lighter segment here. Let's get to our Russell Wilson, Umpire of the Week. You have been talking about this one. You sent this to me a few days ago, and you were like, yep, here it is. This is the guy. So tell everybody, who wins the award this
0: week? I think my quote was, I'm just so grateful they make it really easy on us. So for this week, it was during regional play. It was Clemson and Tennessee. They were in a fantastic extra inning game that Tennessee ended up winning in 14 innings. But in the top of the 13th inning, Tennessee had the bases loaded. They had uh, bases loaded. Clemson gets out of a bases loaded jam. The center fielder makes a catch as he's jogging past the second base. Uh, the got The Tennessee runner leaving second base to go back to his dugout and go to go get his glove and go back out in the field he must have said something it didn't like trigger anything because the teams were still like they might have said something but they were walking back to each other's dugouts well the second base umpire angel campos decided that he was going to toss clemson's freshman center fielder out of the game for whatever he said out of his mouth again which did not trigger a reaction from tennessee but the umpire decided that in the 13th inning of a classic game that he should eject Clemson's center fielder uh, from the game. So thank you Angel Campos for realizing that people turned in to watch 14 in- innings of you.
1: This one would qualify as not letting a play develop, wouldn't it? Yes. Just let the kids play. That's too much to ask of umpires. Just let the game be fun, give people their money's worth. No, it's not a baseball game without somebody getting ejected. Are you kidding me?
0: No, not especially an 18-year-old kid. I mean, what what better power trip than getting to throw some kid who, you know, just just finished up his freshman year of school is now playing in
1: the postseason. Like, <laughs> I told you. Yeah, is this your lifelong dream to go to Omaha? Not anymore. You know where you're going next? The showers, buddy. Get out of here. <laughs> what a joke. Uh, it's going to go to the...
0: That's gonna go with the uh, the theme of my speaker mind. So uh, let's go. Let's get into uh, our final segment and let's speak our minds. Speak your mind, Spock.
1: That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. All right, Lyle. First, we'll go with you. What's on your mind this week? Honestly, getting away from baseball this week. I was kind of sad to finish Ted Lasso or not kind of, I was very sad to finish it because I always loved having the show around and and maybe I'm kind of speaking in just right at a brick wall here because you don't watch the show, but yeah, it was sad to have it end. Now I think they ended it on the right spot because look, you don't want to drag shows out too long. And I think they ended it well, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm going to miss having new episodes to watch every week. So yeah, the last three years it's been fun to have and well, now it's over. Didn't the last two seasons suck? No, I mean, l- listen, it's it's the, it's the same way as people who like to nitpick Star Wars, people who like to nitpick all the great TV shows or movies and say, oh, it sucked. Okay, was season one the best season? I think that's a fair argument. No, the last two seasons didn't suck. They were still good. And and I'm In- going to miss having the show.
0: Interesting, because uh, as somebody who has not watched a single second of the show, who's only new only knew about the episodes of this show through people tweeting about it, I would have assumed Seasons 2 and 3 were some of the worst
1: television ever. No, no, it was still good. It was still really good. Again, maybe Season 1 was the best season, but it was it was still good. Also, actually, one more thing, on a little music note here, it wasn't his best album ever, but Metro Boomin' did release some new music this week, and I've kind of been lacking on some new music to listen to. So I was kind of happy to see that get dropped earlier this week. So I, I and it, again, it wasn't like his best work of all time, but there were a few songs on there. I liked it. It was his into the spider
0: verse album. That's going to, that goes along with the into the spider verse movie that I believe mm-hmm. is now out. Um, So not like, not I'll have to, I listened to a little bit of it. Didn't get all the way through it. So I think I'll have to take your word and listen to the rest of it when I get the chance. Uh, My first speak your mind, Lyle, it relates directly to you. And I think you'll get a chuckle out of this. Uh, College baseball is my next one. But this first one, Skip Bayless is now single again. He doesn't have a partner. What is he going (sighs) to (sighs) do?
1: Are we ever going to get to the point on this show where somebody has to go solo over a breakup because of too many personal shots getting taken at your co host
0: yeah, are you going to leave the podcast when I say you're hall of you? Despite you being a hall of famer, you're washed. You suck. You're jealous of Tom Brady, Lyle. God,
1: I can't. I mean, what am I saying? I was about to say I can't believe that. No, I can very well believe it. That Skip Bayless has yet another person that does not want to work with him anymore. I who's mean- going to take that job? Who's going to do that? I mean, somebody will sell out for the paycheck because it's going to pay a lot of money. So uh, somebody will do it. But have you seen the reports about it already? Skip apparently, I mean, not only is he basically the just ultra overlord, overlord of this show and that entire production where what he says goes. He says he wants somebody that's basically just going to go with anything he says and be like, oh, you're right, Skip. You're so right, everything you're saying is spot on. <laughs> there, Shannon would actually push back on him. I, I, listen, I'm not saying I sat down and watched this show. I didn't. But, you know, the clips you see on Twitter, you see enough of it to pick up on it, right? Where I guess Skip decided that I don't like that. I don't like being told I'm wrong and somebody trying to, you know, Go against me. I need somebody to actually just be on my side and piggyback off of everything I say. So this show is about to get even worse than it already was.
0: Wouldn't it be funny if Shannon Sharp went to ESPN and took over first take with Stephen A?
1: Stephen A said, I saw him on his like podcast this week, or again, I didn't like listen to the full thing, but I saw a clip of it tweeted out where Stephen A said, look, if Shannon wants to come to ESPN and be on first take, I'm all ears. That would Man. actually be entertaining. Oh, that would be unreal. If it was basically just the anti-skip Bayless crew. Pretty much. I mean, again, but, you're you're right. Who's gonna work with that guy? Like from everything you hear and everything you see, it's just impossible to be around. He's just a troll. Yeah. But I, okay, I, heard,
0: so, the, I heard the idea is like when LeBron retires, they should hire LeBron to debate Skip. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dude, that would lead to a straight up brawl on Undisputed.
0: That would, yeah, Skip would probably get killed. But <laughs> you know, he'd probably to LeBron's face say, "I'm
1: sorry, you suck." It's like, Dude, does that guy does that guy think anybody is good not named Michael Jordan? Last night he was tweeting about Jokic, and ha- or last night being what Sunday night, he was tweeting about how like he thinks Jokic sucks, and every shot he put in. Of his 41-point outing was luck.
0: Was lucky because he's, like, what? Because he's lu- he's greasing up the ball with, like, Crisco.
1: Yeah, so he's making <laughs> a joke about Jokic's weight. It's like, buddy, how are you possibly trying to demean the best player in the NBA?
0: My favorite account on Twitter is not Skip Bayless's Twitter account. It's... The guy who will always respond underneath Skip Bayless's <laughs> tweets and read them out in his voice. The
1: the impersonator. Which funny yeah. enough, I think I think that guy's name is Josh Rosen, which not the former quarterback Josh Rosen, it's just the guy with the same name. And his impersonations are spot, spot on. on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh. Uh-huh. Man. Man. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know who's going to take that job. It just, it's so funny. I remember the start of Undisputed. The, do you remember what led off Undisputed? He went to Tim Tebow's open workout to go <laughs> back to baseball. <laughs> yeah. That was the first thing. It was Skip interviewing Tim Tebow on the field. It's like, do you feel like you're ready for this journey? You know, I still believe in you as an NFL quarterback, but regardless,
1: I think you're going to be an all-star in two years. That he's unreal. I mean, like, again, like you said, he's a troll. And there's people out there that are trolls. But you just hear too many things that, okay, he's not putting on a facade on air. I mean, he is. But it's not like off air. He's like the nicest guy and, like, treats everybody well. He's just, like, miserable to be around.
0: This man wakes up at 2 in the morning to run on his treadmill
1: and record a video to LeBron James asking him, if he's working hard enough people think we're making that up no that's real if you go on skip bayless's instagram and i mean you'd have to scroll back a little bit of a ways but there is a video legit of him at 2 a.m running on the treadmill on a saturday morning no less talking to lebron as if he's possibly watching this video <laughs> like, you know I mean? god he is un- i, think my, he is I unreal. think my
0: favorite skip bayless moment is when he recorded an entire podcast because he missed a day of exercise.
1: Oh, that was hilarious. Do you remember that? Yeah, I yeah.
0: do. Was, or I think the other fun fact is that he doesn't sleep in the same bed as his wife on weekdays cuz he needs to be prepared.
1: Yeah, he says he says he has to be in like full work mode to debate Shannon Sharp. He claims that's why he works out so hard. It's like, I have to be in peak shape to keep up with the Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp and be in my best form for undisputed. It's like why don't you just like wake up, eat some breakfast and like get to the studio. That's just so funny. I'm
0: very curious to see who's going to step into that spot. (laughs) I do miss old first take with Stephen. A. I think that was its peak. I think that was peak Skip Bayless because I think he's just running off all the talent that's across him. And I think that matters. Like, like skip is say, if you like, you don't agree with his takes at all. And you think he's a fucking idiot, but it's fucking entertaining because you know you just listen to the shit that comes out of his mouth. But now, if you only have like a yes man sitting across from him, that you know kind of kills the product.
1: Yeah, exactly. Man, we have spent a lot of time on that. We spent we spent a good chunk of time there talking about Skip Bayless, and I'm sitting here mentioning Metro Boomin, which I know there's a lot of people that are like a generation older than us listening to this, and they're probably like, "Who in the world is that?" Well, I,
0: yeah. I just I do have one more that I was going to okay. mention. Um, okay, go ahead. Since it's college baseball baseball regional weekend, it is also now the time of year that college coaches will ignore every safety protocol for pitchers and throw guys as much as humanly possible for this weekend. There's a couple of examples. We've seen in the pros that managers barely ever now let their pitchers throw more than maybe 110 pitches, like maximum. Even like ace-level guys who've been in the league forever. Throw about 110 pitches max. Just this weekend alone in regional play, the projected number two pick Paul Skeens threw 124 pitches against 19 win Tulane, a team that became the first team ever to make regionals with 40 losses. And they left him in with a five-run lead to throw a 124 pitch complete game. Blew my mind. George Mason had a guy throw 128 pitches with a nine-run lead in a complete game. A nine-run lead, and they had him throw 128 pitches. Texas threw a guy 129 pitches. And now Southern Miss, who advanced to the Super Regionals today, they threw a guy for a 123-pitch complete game on Friday, and then they started him again today on Monday. (laughs) It's so funny because you realize like, if these programs had say five hundred thousand dollars invested in the future of this player, they wouldn't be doing this. they would not it just the i would say the hypocrisy of coaching at the collegiate level is it's not great it, the players probably don't help themselves too. I'm sure they're all rearing to go and rear to play rearing to play, but in terms of looking towards the future this is it's like it's not good for your elbow at all to be to pitching that much. Nobody would recommend that, and yet they do it anyways.
1: Yeah, for Paul Skeen's sake, I mean, at least he got out of it clean, at least as far as we know, and by clean being, he wasn't hurt, seems to be totally fine. I mean, obviously, that's an LSU team that's got real title aspirations, right? I mean, so, I mean, I don't agree with it. I don't think coaches should be doing that, and I think that's just another reason athletes should be getting paid, because it's not fair to them to potentially jeopardize their big league career over this. But again, we're just sitting here with a mic talking about it. Obviously, we can't do anything about it. And Paul Skeens, by the way, for those who don't know, Jim Callis, who we've had on the show, was just talking about it today. He called Paul Skeens the best pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg, who then, Callis said, might be the best pitching prospect ever. So that's how good this guy can be. And LSU's like, well, who cares about that?
0: Well, they do. They're going to use him as much as they possibly can before he gets drafted and leaves. And it's not as much of an issue, like Skeens might be the least worry of them all. He threw a lot this season. He averaged over 100 pitches a game. So him pitching 124 might not be as extreme as if he, for example, LSU beat Oregon State today to advance to the Super Regional. I would have been curious to see had LSU beat, uh, Oregon State beaten LSU earlier today and they would have had to play again. Are they going to turn to Paul Skeens on a Monday after letting him throw 124 pitches? Would that be a good idea for, you know, Paul Skeens, who has an agent and I think has a dad that is there and watching after his future and his health say, hey, um, Jay Johnson, this isn't really a good idea. He's set to make about $8 million here in about a month, and you're going to go run him ragged and potentially set him up for long-term injury uh, for the sake of the team, I guess. Just not very smart. And it's very, I, I don't like it. I don't like it, especially it, it. it is shown that it, it guys get hurt from, from over usage like this.
1: Yeah, it's true. And you just hope for all these guys' sake, they get out of the tournament healthy because a lot of these guys, not just Skeens, but there's other guys too, that have real major league futures. So it wouldn't be fair to them at all to see them get, have their draft stock take a hit over this. And it's kind of out of their control too. So let's just keep our fingers crossed. They can all stay healthy. How about that? Let's do that. Well, I think with that, it'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know, if you want to listen to the full podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Full video form is on YouTube. Go subscribe on YouTube. Give the video a thumbs up. If you're listening on the audio platforms, like, subscribe, download, help us beat that algorithm. And then on social media, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube Shorts at MarineLayerPod. For TJ Matthewson, this is Lyle Goldstein. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.